Let's go to the book of Mark. Mark 10. Matthew, Mark, the second book in the New Testament there. And then go to Mark 10, 45. The famous verse will begin there and will also be in 1 Corinthians and also 1 Timothy, a few different places. This morning we will focus on the ministry of helps, the, the gift of administration. We're aiming to look at the work of deacons and deaconesses. And these are our gifts of physical service. Now, it's true that all the gifts, all the gifts of the Spirit are, are spiritual. So even though these are things that we can see, things that we can touch, they're actions that we can actually do uh, with our hands, they're tangible. Just because they're physical, it doesn't mean that they're not spiritual. Don't believe the lie that there's like the spiritual world and there's the physical world where our physical frames are also spiritual. There's a spiritual impact on our lives when we are served physically. So our focus, focus will be on these gifts. Sometimes when we talk about gifts like the word of wisdom or the word of knowledge or the gift of prophecy, are you with me, or the gift of teaching, we somehow think that those gifts are better. We somehow think that they're elevated over the other gifts. But that's not what God teaches us in his word. He teaches us that all the members of the body are needed and useful, that every person has a place, that every person has a gift or gifts that God has given to them that they're to give to others. So if in our minds we're thinking of spiritual gifts in the church, in the body of Christ, and we have like a ranking system, that's not of the word of God. That's why he gave us a picture of the body. Every person needed every gift, needed every gift vital and necessary. Now, I know that your knees don't get the same attention that your eyes get. You might hear it said, well, he has pretty eyes, but you don't hear it said very often, he has pretty knees. (laughs) You need your knees. Very vital, very necessary. But just as the human body has certain parts that we focus on more, It doesn't necessarily make other members of our physical frames not useful to us or not even vital to our operation. Such it is so in the body of Christ. Do we really operate that way? Do we really believe that way? When we're not together, when we're not serving, is there a whole the same way that we're missing a hand or a foot or an eye or an ear? We're supposed to operate in a way and be faithful in a way, and we're going to learn a lot about the faithfulness the Lord has called us to, so that when we're not operating, it's missed. Yes, we miss you as a person. We miss your company. We miss your personality. We miss you as a person, but also that we would be missed in our function in the church because that's the way the human body works. In the eighth grade, um, Michelle got this letter from her English teacher before they left for Thanksgiving vacation. And she kept it all those years, and it it proves the point. I want to show it to you. It tells us something about the body of Christ. Just take a couple minutes and read it to yourself. Mr. Waters probably doesn't know the impact and the parallel. Of course, what's missing? What's not useful? It doesn't matter. It matters a lot, doesn't it? Oh, I'm just one. I'm just one in, in many. It, it doesn't matter that much to the function 
And is the body of Christ not more diverse, not more important than a typewriter? Some people don't know what a typewriter is. <laughs> but think, imagine if you needed to text and, and one of your letters didn't work. Now, some of you only text emojis, so that would probably work okay for you. But if you wanted to say anything with any sort of certainty and halfway be clear about it, you'd really be hurting. Such it is so with the body of Christ. Such it is so with, with our human bodies. When it comes to physical service, when it comes to things that we can do with our hands, tangible, things you can see, sometimes we might think, well, is that at the bottom of the barrel? Is that really even valuable? I say to you, first of all, believe in Jesus' physical service. That's why we're here in Mark 10, 45. It says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve diakonia is the word, but to serve diakonia and to give his life a ransom for many. Did not Jesus serve us physically? How did he serve us in a way that was tangible, in a way that was touchable, in a way that you could see and, and hear? He served us physically and, of course, spiritually by giving his life on the cross. What a physical service. Has there ever been a greater act, tangible act of love and sacrifice than Jesus giving his life on the cross? There hasn't been. Now, Greek is very diverse in its verbiage when it comes to serving. And this diakonia is the word for service, and it's a personal service. It's a willing sacrifice is what it means. They have a word, maybe you're familiar with dulios, which means to serve as a slave. They have a word to serve willingly a word to serve for wages, a word for public service. But this diakonia is for us to say, here I am, I am sacrificing physically, doing a work that's tangible the same way that Jesus did. Jesus was a deacon. Actually, all the gifts of the Spirit flowed through the life of Christ, did they not? We see them in him. And they are spiritual, yet they are tangible to us. Originally, this word meant to wait on a table, to care for, to serve. And realize that Jesus was in a Greek world. I know it's the Roman Empire, but they adopted many, very greatly influenced by the previous empire, the empire of the Greeks. And to the Greeks, serving was undignified. Their motto was, their mentality was, we were born to rule, not born to serve. And so when Jesus came and said that leadership is servanthood, it just shattered everything about society and the way people thought. And they said, wait a second, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all, learn to be like Jesus, get your hands dirty, be willing to sweat, be willing to offer something physically, because isn't that what Jesus did for us? Giving his life on the cross for your sins and mine. Yes, the most wonderful teacher. How often have we said amongst ourselves, I want to hear Jesus teach. What would it have been like to be there when he taught the Beatitudes? What a sermon. Don't we wish we could watch it on YouTube? Don't we wish we could have been there when he spoke those words? Amazing teacher, the gift of teaching flowing through him. The best evangelist, was he not? The gift of evangelism flowing through the Lord. The most wonderful prophet, but also 
the highest physical, visual, visual, and tangible sacrifice. Jesus washed the disciples' feet to get away the dirt, to show his servanthood. And then he washed the disciples' sins away by going to the cross. Physical, yet spiritual service. Now consider the gift of helps and administration. And I'd like you to go to the book of 1 Corinthians. We were there last week, 1 Corinthians 12. Because the body of Christ has a lot of physical needs. Doesn't your physical frame have a lot of physical needs? Yes, you're emotional and you're relational, but you have a lot of physical needs and you just almost inadvertently take care of yourself. You feed yourself. You, you wash yourself. You groom yourself, hopefully. You, you, there's a lot of physical needs around you. And so it is so with the body of Christ. So the gift of helps and the gift of administration are very necessary, and there's a lot of needs in these areas. 1 Corinthians 12, 27, now you are the body of Christ. That's you and me. <clears throat> we believe in Jesus and members individually. So individually, we are the parts like the hand and the eye. God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. After that, miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administrations, variety of tongues, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, do all have gifts of healings, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret. 31, look what it says, but earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. So first of all, believe in Jesus' physical service. He modeled, modeled that for us. And it's a vital ministry within the church, helps, administrations. But number two, desire the best gifts. Isn't that what it said in verse 31? It did. What are the best gifts? It just gave us a bunch of, gave us a list here. And in there, it asked us a question. It said, is everybody a prophet? Is everybody an apostle? And the answer to that is clearly no. Not everybody has every single gift. So what are the best gifts? It says to earnestly desire the best gifts. Well, the gifts that you are to earnestly desire are the ones that the Spirit gave to you. You, what's best to you might not be what's best to me because God didn't gift me spiritually the same way that he gifted you. So you and I are to yearn for the best gifts and the best gifts are the ones that the Spirit has set apart for you. I know some of you guys don't do the Christmas tree thing, but if you've ever done it before, there's an assignment to each one of those gifts. And for us, it's annoying when somebody doesn't put a tag on the gift. Who is this to? It's just wrapped up, and we don't remember. Somebody shoved it under there. There's an assignment from the Spirit of God giving you a gift of the Spirit, and we're to yearn for that. We're to earnestly, look at 31, earnest verse earnestly desire that gift. Do you still yearn for your presence under the tree, the gifts that you might get? I spoke this principle last Sunday night at a different church, and it was a great opportunity because it was a youth service and all the kids were in there. Little kids, medium-sized kids, all shapes and sizes. They were even like all over the stage, like while I'm teaching, like playing with the monitors. It was a it was different than the way we do it. They didn't have a clue what I was saying. But I found a kid when we got to this part about presence, because kids are very honest. And I said to this 11-year-old, 
if there was a present under the tree and it had your name on it, would you want to open it as fast as possible? And do you know what the kid said? Oh, yeah, definitely. What kid doesn't want to open the present that's been set aside for them? Now, as adults, I looked around and none of us are young enough. We're not like, man, give me my presents. We, we've changed a little bit. You probably don't wake up on your birthday thinking about what present am I going to get? But when you were 10, that's the way you thought, right? Believe upon the Lord like a child, earnestly yearn for the gift that he has set aside for you. This is why you should yearn for that gift like a child, because it's from God. Now does it make you want it a little more? Part of the reason as adults, we don't yearn for gifts as much as we're like, man, I've got so much stuff. What are they really going to get me? Now, if you found out that Elon Musk was going to put thought and finances into a gift for you, you would say, now I'm looking for my gift. What's it going to be? It's going to be big. It's going to be great. But Mr. Musk is not the one giving you your spiritual gift. It's the Holy Spirit. Don't you want to know what it is? Don't you want to open it up? Don't you want to use it? Now, this receiving isn't, let me clarify, isn't just for you. It's for God to flow through you. He gave you the gift so that you could serve others with it. So here is our understanding. We get to desire the best gifts. Believe in Jesus' physical service. Believe it and receive it. He gave me the cross so that I could be free of my sin, set on a path to heaven. He set me aside for that. But I'm supposed to yearn for spiritual gifts. I've said it before, I'll say it again. I ask people sometimes, what's your spiritual gift? Or tell me one of them. There's very often a long section of silence. When did the Lord save you? 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and you haven't opened your present yet? That's the line of reasoning. Is that biblical? It is biblical. Desire earnestly the best gifts. And then it says there in 1 Corinthians 12 that we're also to look for the more excellent way. Yearn to know what your gift is, but what is the most excellent way? It's in the next chapter. It's love. So we yearn for the spiritual gift, but he doesn't just tell us what our gifts are. He says, this is the how. So it's not just the what that you're getting. It's how you're to use it. This is where the Lord really gets inside of my heart and mind and works with me. Okay, you're listening to me when it comes to your spiritual gift. But are you doing, performing, operating that gift in love? Because you can use your gift not in love. I've done that a lot. I, I can just play the piano and just be like going through the motions. I, Lord, this is one of my gifts and thank you that I know what it is. But am I operating that gift in love? That is the most excellent way. We all need that reminder. That's for sure. That's what you get right there in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now I want you to go to 1 Timothy 3. And we'll spend most of the rest of our time there in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Lord, we're yearning to know the gifts that you've assigned to us. Lord, we're, we want to use them in love. I don't just want to be like a clanging cymbal without love. It's, I'm nothing. 
if that's the way I operate. Fill me with your love, Lord. This passage in 1 Timothy 3 talks to us about deacons. Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. But let these also first be tested. Let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. So here it is. Broad term deacon is one who serves. Yes, and there are more emotional and relational ways to serve. There's ways that we serve each other's souls. This is to serve the body, which is also spiritual. I pointed that out. Something physical, something tangible. But when you think about this, your body, your physical body, has a lot of different physical needs, does it not? I got blood work done on Friday, and I was just amazed at all the things they can tell just from what's in the blood. All these different needs that my body has. They're measuring all of these minerals and all these chemicals and all these hormones. It's, it's all there. I have all these needs, and I'm not even aware of them. So you have a lot of physical needs in your frame. And so in the body of Christ, there are a lot of physical needs to be filled so that the body can be healthy. Did you get the analogy? So these are the qualifications of one who serves and even one who leads in serving in a physical way. So number three is qualify to lead others in service. There's going to be a practical action at the end of this sermon. I hope that you hear it and you consider it and you pray about it. But here, the Lord gives us these qualifications so that we can qualify. He doesn't tell us about how we should live and who we should be to disqualify us. Instead, he says, is this what your life is like so that you can serve and lead others in service, in physical service, waiting, not just on tables, but any physical need? Let's look at the qualifications so that we can qualify. It says reverent. The King James Version says grave. Um, this does mean dignified. Let me clarify. It doesn't mean that you have to be boring or stodgy. That's not what it's saying. But there's a matter of respect and reverence that ought to be there in a deacon. Where they understand, they, they live in the respect and the honor of the Lord. They realize that everything they say and they do, they're accountable to him for that. There's a reverence there. They're not flippant towards the Lord. And that's also towards the church. They realize that this is the bride of Christ. And I want to be reverent to the design of it, even the leadership and the way I'm supposed to serve. Is there a reverence there? Next, a deacon cannot be double-tongued. That's a great term. We need to bring that one back again. What does it mean? It means to tell one person one thing and another person another thing. It means to try to appease two different parties or two different sides by not being straightforward. A deacon must be a straightforward person. You might say, that's me, I'm straightforward. We're to be straightforward in a res respectful manner. We can do that. There's so much doublespeak in today's world. This is one way you and I can stand out. Look, I, I'm... I'm not trying to make people happy. I'm trying to make the Lord happy. And if that pleases him, that's my main concern. And if it also pleases people because they want what pleases the Lord, good. But I'm not going to speak one thing to a person 
one person and another thing to another person. Not given to much wine. How can a person lead in service if they're, they're given to wine? We can give ourselves to the work of the Spirit. We can give ourselves to a lot of things. But here's the warning. That this person cannot be a wine bibber. They can't be like, hey, they, that, that's what they do. Um, they're intoxicated. They're not given to much wine. I read Romans 14 earlier this week. And Paul writes there that he doesn't want to eat or drink anything that could cause stumbling in one of the elect. That we're to honor and to prefer one another. Now that's a way of life that's totally opposite from the world, isn't it? The world says, do what you want to do, and it doesn't really matter how it affects people. So we're literally supposed to alter our behavior thinking, I don't want to stumble somebody. I don't want to get in their way. I realize there's always going to be people that are ultra picky, but the Bible gives us things like this, and it says, pay attention, because how are you going to lead for the Lord if you're you're controlled by alcohol? You can't. You'll be a poor example. Next is not given to greed. Oftentimes, a person who ministers in this way in the church is handling money and resources And if they're a greedy person and they love money, the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil, scriptures say, they're going to be greatly tempted to be like, well, I'm just going to pilfer some for myself. They've got to be a person that that doesn't love money. They're not given to greed. It doesn't mean they can't have wealth, but you know the difference. Oftentimes I see within the body of Christ, there are are people and they they look wealthy, or at least they appear through their possessions that they're wealthy, and people are, are critical of them. And sometimes they're the most generous people in their service and what they give. They're, just, they're, they're giving, giving people like, oh, look at them. But here it says, lead for the Lord in a way where you're not greedy for wine, you're not greedy for money, you're under the influence of God, not under the influence of alcohol or, or drugs. You're to be sober-minded. It's put that way in the qualifications for an elder. There's the same idea there. I want to be thinking clearly and acting in a godly manner. It's one of the qualifications to be a deacon. Do you notice where it says, let them first be tested? Now, this is really important because when it comes to work, when it comes to tasks, and the work of a deacon is really, really diverse, a lot of times a smaller job is given so that we can see how a bigger job would be handled. If a person can't show up on time, how are they going to lead others consistently serving? If they don't even gather consistently, how can they be counted on for a certain function within the body of Christ? And, and I'm with you. Commitment is scary. And sometimes we'd rather do random acts of kindness because it, then it's just as we feel. I'm feeling a swell of kindness right now, therefore I'll give it up. Instead of tested, tried and tested, tried and true, here is the task at hand. Given the smaller task to see if the individual is ready for the larger before they're ready for the work of the office because there is an office of deacon, is the work well accomplished? So if you're asked to do a seemingly small job, Keep in mind that it might just be a test, a test from the Lord, even a test from his church, a test of the Spirit. 
to see if we're ready to do whatever the Lord has set before us in the next case. I read to you from Luke 16.10. He who is faithful in what is least is also faithful in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Do you see the principle in the word of God? What are we doing with the so-called little thing that's before us? Be careful, because if you do a good job at one thing, chances are there'll be another job and another job or a bigger job for you to do. So if you don't want a bigger job, just do a really lousy job at the little one. Isn't that the way sometimes kids operate? If I'm a really, really bad worker, they just stop giving me work. Well, in the body of Christ, since we're earnestly desiring the gift, it's like, Lord, this is a, a seemingly small job. It's, it's a task that I can do, that I can quantify. Let me be faithful in this small thing. Wouldn't you rather work side by side with somebody for a day rather than interview them if I'm going to hire them for a job? Oh, I certainly would. If you know what somebody's made of because you see them in action, you see the way they respond to seemingly small tasks, you say, that I, see, I see their work. I know what they're doing. That's what the Bible is teaching us. So hard to hire people today, and I realize this is monetary, not strictly in the context of the body of Christ. Well, somebody can talk a whole lot, and they can tell you when they show up in the interview, well, I've done this, I've done that, and this is my past. But let's face it, you and I want to see, Right? What will you do with, with the smaller task? Let them be tested. Let's see how they interact with people. Let's see if they are easily offended. Let's see if when somebody doesn't realize how good they are at their gift, they don't insist upon saying, this is how long I've been doing this thing. With my kids, I have made, on purpose said, you lead the kids in their classes in music. Are kids any less in God's eyes? Certainly not. But when you're in there, you don't have a microphone, you got a stage, you stage you're just like, hey, I'm doing this. I'm five little kids sitting around the circle. You get your guitar out. You learn how to play it. You lead them in that way. It's the principle of this is a smaller task. It's less scary but you might not be ready for the big task yet. That's all over the body of Christ. Please be aware of it. And if right now you're struggling a little bit because you're thinking like, I'm, I'm not being entrusted with very much, but let these also first be tested. That, there's a testing that happens there. Now, when it comes to the diversity of physical needs within the body of Christ, there's something here that has to do with just working in a way that is efficient and effective. And again, I go back to your physical body. How many of you can walk on your hands for at least 10 steps? Well, there's a couple people, and there's a couple people that can probably do 12 or 30, and they just don't want to brag. But walking on your hands is pretty impressive to me. I like it. I, I like to try it. I haven't tried it in a while. I won't do it right now. But what I'm saying is, when somebody walks on their hands, you're like, wow, that, that's pretty amazing. Even though it's not the main function of your hands and your arms, it's like a little bit of, of a show-off thing. But now, if you can walk on your hands, can you carry something with your feet while you're walking on your hands? 
That's a little harder to do. Here's this box. Here's this item. You carry, grab onto it with your toes and carry it across the room walking on your hands. Now, a really fit person might be able to do something like that, almost circus quality, right, an acrobat. But do you realize when it comes to the body of Christ, there's certain functions. And if one member is taken up doing a function that better fits another member, you might be able to do it. But is it the most efficient or the most effective way to do it? Not at all. Are some bodies, are some churches, like individuals who can walk on their hands? I hope not. Because you can get there, you can get the job done, but there's a great, you're doing it the hard way. Let's put it that way, right? So when we expanded the sanctuary and got you know, some more chairs in here, we got like 80 more chairs, we had to pop this whole wall out right here. So there was a physical, big physical job of adding on this direction towards the mountain. And it was a team effort, right? Towards the hill, I should call it, right? And we added on that way, right? You kind of get in the picture, like right? the Trinity, that's like the transept, if you know about naves and choirs and all that stuff. But there were many building decisions that need to be, needed to happen. Now, in the function of the body of Christ, I, I'm not an expert in building. <laughs> I mean, I try, but even when I'm building something at my house, I'm calling my friends who are good at it and trying to make sure that I don't make a grave error in doing that. Such it should be so with that expertise with the body of Christ. Um, could I do it? <laughs> That's questionable. Could I add on to the building? Would it be bad? Yes. Would it be like us walking on our hands? So it happened. This wall right here was a point of great contention. If you remember back that far, the, the question was to balloon frame or to not balloon frame, right? And the reason I bring this up is the body of Christ has to have order to it. And I'm sitting there because it wasn't really clear who was in charge of the, of the job. And there needs to be somebody in charge to make those kind of decisions. And if you're wondering, it, it turned into a modified balloon framed wall <laughs> in the end is what we got to. Not, not by design, just by necessity. But it was dysfunctional because, oh, I'm thankful that somebody came and fixed it, right? But that decision really has to be left up not, not to an elder, but to a deacon, right? That's their expertise. I don't want to walk on my hands and you don't want to watch me walk on my hands. There are tons of jobs like this. There's a ton of food ministry, both in our church and outside the church, helping people, giving them either prepared meals or the non-perishable that we talk about. How does it get there? How does it get paid for? And people ask me about it, and I just say, like, I don't know. And, and people say, oh, you know, you're too good for that? No, it's not my job. I mean, I know something about it, but it's like this big, right? I'm not the head of the church, Jesus is. So this diversity of gifts is the function where it's like, it's delegating. If you've ever led in any capacity, you know how sweet it is to delegate. Do you know who made that up? God did. You have this capable person who's got this character, and you give them the job, 
and they do it. That's a design that we get here in the body of Christ. Your charitable donations. People ask me, well, how about my, my end of the year tax thing? Somebody takes care of that. I don't know. I'm just sitting there. I don't know what happens with it. I'm not sure. The church, the building, it gets cleaned. I'm not against cleaning it. I mean, if you want to see me vacuum, come on a Friday night or something. But that's not, I'm not overseeing that. I'm not, I'm not leading in that way. So these functions within the body of Christ. And it includes the, includes the gift of helps, but also, if I refer back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the gift of administration. Somebody has to organize that. Somebody has to be the point person. Somebody has to make sure that it's done in a timely manner. And I thank God for those gifts of administration. Yes, the elders do some administration in the church, but some of that is a gift assigned possibly to you. During our time when we were meeting outside because of COVID and regulations, there was a lot of setup and stuff to be done out there. We were having like three services just at different times to spread people out. You guys, many of you remember that. And we were sitting in the bark and it was, you were trying to sing and it's, it, was, it, was, it was kind of a mess. But we're like, here we are, we're gathering together. How good is that, right? And... I walked by, the, the porch had bark on it, it was, it was a mess, and somebody said, would, would you sweep that off there? And I was there too, and a brother said, what, is he too good to do it? And, the, and they pointed to me. I watched my own dad, like up here building this building, and he was here an awful lot. And if he wasn't here multiple times, he was like, well, where's Ed? This isn't Ed's house. It's God's house. So the idea is like, he better operate all his gifts and all of ours also dysfunctional, walking on your hands. Let's not be a body like that. So in the practical application of this, sometimes you might be directed to a person and you won't be going to Nick or Arthur or to Fred or to me. And you'll say, could you check in with that person about it? Because they know more about it and they're administrating that gift. And that's just good body of Christ function. It's not a matter of, I, I'm too good to do that. It's just like, let's be efficient. Let's be obedient to what we're doing. And see, like, I don't necessarily have to connect with, there is no main person except for Jesus. And say, so that's the area that's been given over to them as far as overseeing it. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. I taught this about four years ago, and I didn't look deeply into the original language. I started reading a bunch of different versions, and I know I've read the New American Standard quite a bit, and I don't know why it didn't arrest my attention before, but New American Standard says this, in 1 Timothy 3.11, women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. So the word here is translated two different ways in two really solid translations. Eune is the word. It's used 231 times, this word for woman or this word for wife, right? And you might see there is an inserted word, 
to, to make it make sense. But it's used 231 times in the New Testament. 130 times it's translated woman. And 99 times it's translated wife. Truthfully, it could mean either. So is the Bible, in this case, talking about the wives of deacons? Or is the Bible talking about women who are deacons, deaconesses? I look at the word likewise, which is there. It's the same word used back in verse 8 that we read. So you got the qualifications of an elder at the beginning of the chapter, and then he gets to verse 8, and it says, just like the previous, here are more qualifications. And then it says, likewise again, at the beginning of 11. What I see here is that the Lord is saying, there are women who will serve in this capacity also, and here are qualifications for those women. It's also interesting to me that there aren't any qualifications given for the wife of an elder, but now here, some say, well, these are qualifications for the wife of a deacon. It lends more to a woman who serves in this capacity, the gift of helps, the gift of administration. I also look at what it says in Romans 16.1, and there's some other examples of this. This is the very beginning of that chapter at the end of the book of Romans. I'll read to you. I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant, and that's diaconos of the church of Sancrari, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever business she has need of you. For indeed, she has been a helper of many and also of myself. So we see examples in the Bible, and it's true that the word for to serve can be used in more than just the capacity of a deacon. But when I look at this, I'm seeing the Lord has set women, certain women, and gifted them in this way also. It appears that Phoebe was given the job of delivering the book of Romans. That, that's a pretty big job. The, the book of Romans. Now, I hate to say some books of the Bible, but it's a big book, and it's this doctrinal masterpiece, the book of Romans. And Paul says, Phoebe, it's your job to get this, a physical job, right? You need to deliver this job to the next location. This woman is, she's dependable. When she gets there, a sister, she's got business to conduct. Take care of, of her so that she can take care of you. So if a woman has a husband, it would be wonderful for them to serve together. But if she's called to singleness, she would not be disqualified from service in this way. Deaconesses are a vital part of the church's operation. There are many things that are administrative within the body of Christ that they literally direct and organize. Now let's look at the qualifications that are listed in 11. The first one, reverent, is off just like what we saw before, what was mentioned earlier, understanding the authority of the Lord, understanding the design that he put forth in his church. It says not slanderers. So women who serve in this capacity can't be people that talk bad about other people. They can't be insinuating um, behind people's backs. I'm talking too much. In an abundance of words, there is much sin. The warning is given here in the word of God for 
the conversations that take place. And when it comes to slander, we have this whole new arena where we can talk about people now. And it's a pitfall for many, many people. The word is saying, be very careful what you say. Be very careful what you insinuate. Because a lot of people are seeing that. And if it's not true, don't say it. And even if it is true, are you supposed to be broadcasting it? So this is a qualification there. Don't, don't be a person that talks bad. Don't be a, even a gossip. Temperate. Like, stable. Have you ever studied the temperance movement here in the United States of America? We need another one of those. There were three waves to the temperance movement. And what was it about? It's connected back to not loving wine. Women had so much wisdom that in the last temperance movement, the beginning of the 1900s, they said, look at what drunks are doing to our families. Look at what they're doing to our kids. Look at what society turns into when people are given to wine. And they said, we will not put up with this. We don't want people to just get intoxicated whenever they want to. We don't, we, we don't want that access. Now, I realize this has a broader meaning, but temperance. A woman that says, no, I don't, I don't want to be involved in that. I don't want to be around those kind of people. I don't want to be in that environment. And then it says faithful. The, the meaning here is very similar to what we already learned about being tested being tried, and being true. They have shown that they are faithful in smaller things, therefore they are given larger tasks. Now some of the things in the body of Christ have an expiration date on them. Let's put it this way. There's a certain job, and that job is going to get completed, right? Or at least we hope that it gets completed, right? This is a job, it's going to take six months, or it's going to take a year, but it's and then there are other jobs that are ongoing, aren't they? And they're just always going to be there as long as we're on this planet, as long as the Lord uses us as his hands and his feet. So when it comes to deacons, I think about Acts chapter 6. They were assigned this job, as deacons were appointed in the early church, of distributing food to, to widows. They were being neglected, and they needed to make sure that it was fair. That would become an ongoing job. Those people needed to be fed. Isn't eating kind of ongoing? It is. So that's a ministry that's just going to be there all the time. Now, maybe different deacons and deaconesses would step in and, and oversee that portion and say, like, okay, I'm going to administrate this. That's the way I should put it. But when it comes to other jobs, it's like, okay, this is something that needs to get taken care of, and it's, it's, it's going to end. They come in both forms and realizing that we have a lot of those kind of jobs. It says in Acts chapter 6, the mentality there was the apostles would need to stop ministering the word in order to serve those widows' food. If you go back and you read that portion for homework, and they said, it's not fitting. What does that mean? It means it doesn't fit the use of the body of Christ for me to stop doing what the Lord has gifted me to do so I can go over here and do this. Now, it is very true that there are certain people and they're, you know, like the utility player in baseball? 
Like, they, they're, they, they really can, you can move them around. It's like, man, that guy can play first base. I can even stick him at shortstop. I can have him put the gear on and put him behind the plate if I need to. There are people like that. But beware lest you think that, that teachers, elders are like, they're supposed to be our gap fillers. Well, there is something true about that. But then there's the other extreme of they can be filling so many gaps that the body doesn't function the way that it should. And people aren't doing their, their gifts so that that person can do theirs. I have a friend, we were at his church last Sunday night. And he's the pastor of the church that we were at, the Romanian Pentecostal church. And he also was, he's also in a licensed electrician and he's very, and I would go down there to him. He's working on the church day and night, many times just by himself. What are you doing? I'm, I'm building the church. Get some people down here with you. I know, right? You're, let the body operate the way that it should. Oh, I can do it. Well, I know you can do it. You walk on your hands quite well. But it's, it's still not the most efficient thing, right? So the diversity of those gifts. Let the Lord test you and try you. Look at the qualifications. Because a deacon or a deaconess does the work, and they often also administrate the work. And some of you are like me, you're like, I'll do it, but I don't work well with others. So I'll just do it by myself. Uh, that, that really isn't the function of a deacon. The deacon is supposed to administrate and say, okay, I'm going to involve other people and I'm going to give some kind of structure to that. That is where it gets sticky, doesn't it? Because so many of us, we really are willing, but then when it comes to involving other people, ooh, no. I'm not going to do that. And let's make this clear. There, that deacon needs to be able to say no to people. and needs to be able to say, maybe you can serve in a different area, or maybe you're going to lead in a different area. It's not like, hey, everybody who shows up needs to be able to tell people, you're not good at this, or you have a totally different way of, of doing it, and that's great, but you're not leading it. And that's functional also, isn't it? Let's look at 12 and 13 in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife. There was a lot of polygamy in those days. He said, that, that's never going to work. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Who is in charge? Your kids or you? It was an issue in the church and in the world in those days. A four-year-old that calls the shots will probably become a 14-year-old that calls the shots if there's not a correction. Or you could have a 10-year-old who's really well-behaved but then rules the roost by the time he's 20. A backwards house disqualifies the man. Doesn't it make sense? It's the same principle we learn about elders. If somebody can't manage their own house, how can they manage the house of God? Very clear. Our first ministry is to the Lord. 
into our families. And so it makes it clear, ruling their children, and that is the word, they, they're setting the pace, they are giving the rules, because that's what <laughs> ruling is, and they do it well. That's the, the nature of, of the deacon. And it says here that they are in good standing by their service, that there's a proven character. How many of you like phony Christians? It's like one of those questions where it's like, yeah, I, it's, that's my favorite thing. How many of you, you want to follow somebody who's a gossip or a drunk? Let proving character mark your life. Now, when the Bible talks about good standing, when it talks about a good reputation, don't let anybody twist that and say, well, you're just taking pride in, in who you are and saying that you're better than other people. Actually, the scriptures say that proving character that a good standing allows you to be used by God. So when you defend your character, the motive ought to be not just to stick up for yourself because somebody's talking trash about you. Your motive should be, I want to be used by God. I want to operate the gift that he has given to me. And so I care about my reputation because my reputation reflects upon the Lord. Let he, anyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. And that good standing, even with those who are not a part of the church, is really, really valuable. Now, with that said, is everybody going to like you? No. Will we make mistakes? Yes, we certainly will. But this is a good standing. It's proven character. It means it's normal for us to be reverent. It's normal for us to be given to the Spirit, not given to wine or to greed. If this is you, be tested and pass the test. And then allow God to use you in a way where he stretches you and says, okay, now you get a chance to continue to serve, but administrate in that way. The, the best people to administrate are the people that will actually do the job. When I was still overseeing kids' ministry directly, it was difficult for me because I wasn't in the classroom with the kids very much. I wasn't in there teaching them. I wasn't seeing what it was like. I really had to work hard to know their names and get in there because you're my class, not them. I'm not seeing their faces each time. And there's a part of this where you can say, I want to be in there working and also helping other people. It takes a lot of grace. And people don't join together just because you've put them on a team. They have to trust and respect one another. And that respect is, is something that's won through the proven character and the reverence that we show in our lives. And first of all, love. I just want to read 15 and, sorry, 14 and 15 because it reminds us of who we are. These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. Paul is saying, I want, I want to be with you, Timothy. I'm writing to you, but I, I hope to be with you in person. But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. Finally, yes, qualify so you can be used, but operate in the household of God. It says house of God there, and it doesn't just mean a building. It doesn't mean a building at all. It means you and I are to be like a household that runs well. 
There aren't a ton of households like that today. We understand our bodies more because our bodies function according to God's design when, when most of the time. But it says you are a household, you're a family, and you're to function the way that a healthy family functions. Do you know how in a, a family there's a lot of divide and conquer? You do things to serve the greater, and you also benefit because somebody is doing their job. It's wonderful to see a house that works in a way like that where there aren't grudging givers. It says you are the household of God. You're the house of God. And it also says you're pillars. Did the Greeks and the Romans know something about pillars? You look at their architecture, they liked pillars a lot. In fact, some of their buildings just had pillars all over the place. And it says here in this passage that we are the pillar and the ground of truth. Don't be a pillar don't be a post off by yourself. How, good does, how much good does a post just out there not fasten to anything else to do? Well, you can set a couple things on top of one post. But two, way better than one. Four, even way better than two. Those columns, those supports, you are those pillars. And this has to do with truth. Where else? are you going to find truth? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the word made flesh. And we know truth only because of Jesus. And now the church, we are to be the ones who hold the truth high. We're to be the ones who stand for the truth that the Lord delivered to us. In a world of lies and deception, we must operate according to God's design and say, this is truth. We come back, we come together, we're supported. We come back to square one and say, here we are, Lord. Foundationally, is it true that we are pillars and that this is the ground of truth, that we're like a house, a household living together? The reformer Martin Luther wrote, when I gather with God's people, my heart comes to flame. It's a place for refuge. It's a place for power. It's a place for cooperation, and most of all, it's a place for glorifying the Lord. Oh, Lord, I, I think of, of you and what you have so clearly given to us in your broken body. I do. I think about you hanging on the cross. I'm showing us how to physically serve in the greatest way. And I pray, God, for all those that you have specifically gifted in the areas of helps and administration. I pray specifically for those who you are raising up as deacons and deaconesses. I pray for their testing and their trying. Lord, because we, we want to be a family that people look at and, and say, that's a real family. That's a family that, that loves. That's a family that functions. Uh, We want to be like a building that's supported, not a dilapidated structure that people scoff at and say, oh, that's that's the church? Those are God's people? Establish us in your truth, Lord. It's not ours first. It's certainly yours. I, I pray for those that aren't yet apart, that today they would see that by your blood there is a family. We are the blood-bought, forgiven people, the redeemed. Um, 
Show them, Lord, that it's not by our doing, that if there's anything good in us, it's because you did it. And bring them to salvation. Lord, it, it starts small. You even said it. You just need to have faith like a little tiny seed, like a mustard seed. Like, Just say, Lord, here I am. Lord, I belong to you. I don't know everything that you want me to do. In fact, I don't know hardly anything about the Bible, or, but I belong to myself for so long, and it's wrong. I, I belong to you. You bought me, and, and here I am. Forgive me and free me. I want eternal life. I pray, God, that through our function and through our words, we would be speaking that truth to your people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.